The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Six years ago, two married, successful international corporate lawyers were expecting their first child. With this big change in their life, they wanted to do something meaningful, sustainable and delicious. So they decided to leave behind the security and certainty of hard-earned study and prestigious careers and start a brand new business selling nut butters in an established market at a premium price point from Wellington, New Zealand and with the new baby. What they created was Fix and Fog, named for two adventurers in Around the World in 80 Days, and it turned out to be a great tale. From boutique beginnings and a small hole-in-the-wall outlet, they picked up fans, stockists, and now big international success. Today, they are in hundreds of stores across the US, are a top seller on Amazon there, and have just been called the best nut butter you can get in New York magazine. Co-founder and CEO Roman Jewell joins us to talk the journey, following your dreams, doing things the right way, and making it in America. Kia ora, thank you for joining us by Zoom from Wellington. Hi Simon, thanks for having me. And it's such a nice intro, I uh, really appreciate it. Can't help but think I sound a little bit like a madman. Uh, <laughs> and, and Andrea too, <laughs> yeah. leaving, it, leaving it all behind and, and having a punt on something. But um, yeah, look, it's, it's kind of working out, which is great. Tell us about that. Take us back to, you, you know, because you, you, you were working internationally, you had big jobs in corporate law. What was your thought process to kind of chuck that in, come back to New Zealand? I mean, did you have experience in making nut butter? Talk, talk me through the thought. Um, so so I guess, yeah, f- firstly, like Andrew and I had, had no formal background in, in food or, or even running a, a company for that matter. And certainly this is my first time as a, as a CEO in, in that position. But we, if I go back that kind of six and a half years ago, yeah, we had great careers, but I guess we were starting on a new journey in life. We're about to have um, our first our first baby and really just kind of, I guess, doing a lot of self-reflection and thinking about what is it that we wanted to do um, going forward. And we both had great careers as, as, as lawyers, but there's, there's something missing, I think, for both of us in that sense, that we weren't creating something tangible, and, and you said it in that, that lovely intro, something meaningful, sustainable and delicious. We were really good at preparing court documents, and uh, Andrea more so than me, talking in court and writing emails, but we really wanted to create something physical, something we could be really proud of, that we could share with friends and family. And in those early those early kind of days and months of, of really trying to find our way with 
with firstly peanut butter and selling it at local farmers markets it was just really appreciating that this was a cool hobby that we had on the side it wasn't that we're going all in and this was going to be a business it really kind of started small and organic and did you decide to come back to New Zealand to get it started or how did you actually kick it off and when did you decide to yeah fully step sideways from from the law yeah, so Andrew and I met in the UK. We, we both studied, uh, we're both studying a Master's of Law up there. And um, I, I am proud Kiwi, so I, I convinced her that, that she, being English, she should come out to New Zealand and, and try and live here and, and see what it's all about. Um, and she fell in love with the place. And um, we settled on Wellington. Really, is such a, uh, we hadn't, um, I certainly didn't grow up in Wellington, but it was a place coming back to New Zealand that we thought we'd have kind of surety of jobs that would be able to get a job maybe in the government or the private sector. So we did not come back with the idea of starting our own business. We, we came back here really just to kind of live together in a new country for Andrea. And and over that time, and we, we were here for about five, six years before we started Fix and Fog, we kind of travelled on that journey from kind of tapering in the law and then starting a new business. And what was the thing you were wanting to bring to the nut butter space is um you know it's quite an established market there are some big players um you know what was the angle that you saw yeah i think like it's and it's no pun really intended but wanting to sink my teeth and our teeth into something that that we could have full control over and we could curate the whole thing from the look of the brand from the quality of the ingredients for the taste for the creative outlet that it would give both of us, that we could develop flavours and we could do cool collaborations. And then a really big part, particularly for me, I came from, I came from a, a, a corporate law background, was having a culture on our own terms, something that we would be super proud of. And so there was this idea that, yes, we were going to create something tangible, but we were going to have a business that operated just the way we wanted it to be, that it would kind of be something that we'd be just as proud of as the product, that we could be at a party and someone could be like, hey, man, what's so great about your place or, or, or why should I work there? And we could talk about the culture and the values and the things that we do outside of just making and selling a physical product. Tell me about some of those things. As you're uh, a B Corp certified corporation, um, what does that mean and how do you go about doing that? Um, so B Corp certification is... It's becoming increasingly popular and um, and more aware in New Zealand about what that is. There is no A corporation. It stands for better. It stands for better corporation. I get I get asked that a lot. It's fairly well known in the states, um, and Patagonia is, is probably one of those companies that people would probably associate with B Corp certification. New Zealand has some great examples as well: Sawmill Brewing, um, All Birds Shoes, um, Kathmandu, uh, Raglan Coconut Yogurt. So. Uh, Fix and Fog, Fix and Fog spent, and, and it's quite typical for, for getting the certification, about a year in order to get the certification. And really what it is, is it's basically a ripping back of your, all the layers of your business and looking at it and going, what's your carbon footprint? How do you treat your staff? How much do you pay them? What's your impact on the environment? What are you doing around sustainability? For us, what are we doing around food waste? And you can get credits for the good things and you don't get credits for the bad things. And so it's marked out of 200 points and you need 80 in order to become a B Corp certified company. It's very hard to get 80. Um, we're very fortunate that we cross that threshold. But it's the start of a journey. We're continually like wanting to improve and, and be better at, at that side of things. Um, 
And as a, a food business, we're the first New Zealand-owned food business to be B Corp certified. It's something I'm incredibly proud of. But it, in some ways, it's really just cementing the stuff that we were already doing. It's, it's giving it uh, an accreditation of, of things that we'd already been doing. And how do you go about building a business that, you know, small business is really hard? The food industry is really hard. Getting onto the shelves of supermarkets is really hard. And then be able to do that... Um, you know, making it here, but also doing it in the in the kind of right way, you know, the best way possible. How do you manage to do both of those things at the same time? Yeah, such a good question. It is hard. I, I agree with you. And, it, and I, I still find it hard now, to be honest, no matter what the scale. So whether we were at local farmers markets or if we're in a handful of specialty stores and delis to where we're going into supermarkets in New Zealand, that, that journey is, is is hard. It's it's a healthy challenge. I, I really like that challenge. And I like doing it by, you can grow and scale, but so long as your values remain static is really important. And there's a cost to that. So the B Corp certification process, for example, for us, we pay the living wage uh, we did that pretty much from the outset, which was actually a bit of an issue because I wasn't being paid the living wage, <laughs> but, but, our, but our employees and staff were. So it's really prioritising those values for us. But we wanted to attract people, customers that resonated with those values and people support that and people back it. And essentially, when they're going into the store, they're voting with their consumer choice. They're like, look, I'm going I'm to back this because I think this is a force for good. I really, I really want to stand behind this business. And we've been so lucky in, in that respect. And it really has helped us grow. It's helped people talk about us um, and those sorts of things. When did you know it was working? Oh, is it ever working? <laughs> <laughs> do, do you know what? I, I'll rephrase it. When, when did I know that it was something that I, I really loved and, and I wanted to do full time rather than at night times and at weekend farmers markets? It was pretty early on. And... It's the challenge. It's the challenge of something really complex and competitive, like you you, you suggested earlier, and and I guess you know it it has been a big sideways shuffle from law to food manufacturing with no experience, with with no board, with no outside investment, but there were skills and ideas and ways of thinking that I took from the law and applied to this business. And even if it was just basic problem solving, here's something really complicated, just break it down into small bite-sized chunks. For a peanut butter jar, you're going to need a label, you're going to need a lid, you're going to need a glass jar, you're going to need a box. Okay, all of a sudden there's these little micro tasks. I can go through and start ticking those off. And I always come back to that approach for something, whether it's trying to grow in New Zealand or whether it's trying to get into the States, like the largest, most competitive nut butter market in the world. How are you going to do that? And so what kind of seems like, I don't know, a little bit daunting can actually become a lot easier in those little bite-sized chunks. Let's talk about getting into the States, as uh, that's been something that's been happening in the last couple of years. Hey, how did you start to establish yourself there, and how's it gone? Yeah, so we've been working towards trying to to sell in the US um, and and, and kind of mainstream channels for about three and a half years, um, perhaps even four I, like I said before, I, I love the challenge of that. We've made so many mistakes. So I guess what I say, um, please um, have that lens on it that, that we've tripped and fallen so many times and made so many just errors and basic errors and embarrassing errors. We could talk, we could talk about those. But I, I was attracted to the size and the scale of that market. And, and we're sitting here in Wellington, New Zealand going, 
man, we're so proud of our product and we're so proud of the values and the way we go about business and, and the, way, the way we work and the innovation behind the flavours. Why can't we put that on a larger stage? Why can't we put that on a world stage? And the obvious choice was the US because of that. And, and going back to that, you know, breaking things down into bite-sized chunks, the next question is like, okay, well, good idea, but how? And, and one thing that, that popped up about three years ago was this idea of Amazon for us, that maybe we could put some jars and boxes here in New Zealand, put them on a boat and send them into an Amazon warehouse and see how it went. Um, and so we, we did that, and, and at the end of 2017, we started selling on Amazon. Um, and, you know, you know, just kind of fumbling around, like I said before, making all sort of mistakes. You know, we're calling it crunchy peanut butter like we do in New Zealand, and Americans call it chunky. We're calling it smooth peanut butter, and Americans call it creamy. Um, but that was a great learning ground for us. We got instant distribution uh, to 330 million people. So we were getting customer feedback. We were getting ratings. We were getting suggestions all through the Amazon platform. Amazon's quite a tricky beast to deal with um, in terms of the compliance, the complexity around logistics. They even require their own barcodes and things like that. But I was looking at it the other day. I mean, to date, we've sold around 60,000 jars on Amazon. So it really has been a great test place for us to go um, and to go online to start with. Um, And the confidence that we got from being online through Amazon led us to make a decision to go or to try and go on shelf. And what's involved in that? Because you were like one of the top selling peanut butters on Amazon. Hey, so that's a really great um, uh, validation point for when you roll up to a meeting with a, a buyer in America. And the scale of, you know, the stores in America versus the scale of what you've um, done here, is it kind of a bigger version of working with, you know, the people at Countdown, uh, or is it a completely different thing? Um, well, America's just huge, you know, and they, they say 50 states, it's actually 50 countries, and um, I mean, we're really focused on Texas and have been for the last 12 months. It's completely different to the, to the way that um, maybe things operate in California or New York. Um, it all comes back down to, like you mentioned Countdown, it comes back to people. There's people that sit in these positions and it's about building a meaningful relationship with those people and, and making sure you're looking after them, giving them what they want, not just saying, hey, we're from New Zealand, we're amazing, we, we know all about this stuff. It's actually, there's a lot of listening and engagement that's needed. And so I spent a lot of time in 2019 um, on planes going to the States and just literally walking into a supermarket and walking up and down it and trying to talk to the grocery buyer there and introduce myself and say, hey, what do you need? What are you looking for? And I'd look at what was on shelf already and, and really trying to understand if there was a space for a brand like Fix and Fog to be on shelf in America. We had the Amazon data, that, that, that sort of that proof of concept that, hey, look, th- this, is, this is the American consumer engagement already. Would that translate to being in a, in a store like yours? And the way we really looked at that was after doing all those those trips and I did a bunch of trade shows and so lucky to be able to do that, right? Because we, we now live in a world where that, that's essentially closed off. Is, is to try and identify, rather than look at it and go, okay, we're, we're absolutely going to spray it all over the States, is to go, what are the key 
retailers? What are those supermarket chains that our customer would shop in? The ones that would get this brand, the ones that resonate with no palm oil, no nasty additives, B Corp certification, healthy ingredients, a beautiful looking product inside a nice looking jar that's glass, which surprisingly is unusual in, in our category in the States. And so we narrowed it down to look at look at key stockists and then really trying to build relationships with those stockists. And that, that took months of, of door knocking, countless emails that were never responded to. But just that idea, and I, and, I, and I think it's intrinsic, whether you have a really small business or a big business, about just perseverance and just quietly chipping away and being consistent and being determined and dogged in, in what you do in a nice way. Um, but just, just having that focus and going, look, and belief that, that you can get there. Kia ora, I'm Sophie. And I'm Simon. And I'm Alice, and together we host the spin-off's food podcast, Dietary Requirements. Join us each month as we explore a vast culinary landscape, from the gourmet Ooh la la. to your more hearty tucker. Kiwi onion dip, anyone? Everything's on the table in Dietary Requirements. Subscribe wherever you listen to all your other favourite podcasts. Oh, wow. And so... What's the scale? And are you still focusing on Texas mainly? Uh, what's the scale of the operations now in Texas? So we fix and fog. We, we have a team of about thirty-five here in Wellington um, that operate in our nut butter factory, and, and we make six days a week. And then we've slowly started to build a US team as well, really to have people on the ground, people that understand the way Americans do business, because there are cultural differences and we can't pretend to know it all. And so we have a small team of four people in Houston. I thought I was so smart, you know, looking at Houston because Air New Zealand used to have a direct flight there and who knew that COVID was just around the corner and that would go. But we have a small team of, of four. We started with the, the kind of the catch cry that we would be inch wide, mile deep, that we would really try and engage and be known in Montrose, Houston, which is a, which is a cool little suburb and a city of eight million people. And you know, Texas is a, is, a, is a phenomenally large state. I think it's the ninth largest economy in the world on its own. We couldn't look to try and be Texas wide, so it was really just taking a small approach with a small footprint. We didn't want to be a manufacturer that just threw things into a container and sent it off. I wanted for Fix and Fog to have people, a presence, a voice, someone to talk about the product, to go to a meeting, to shake a hand, to answer questions. And so we built this team, but we also built a small little retail window, just like what we have here in, in Wellington and Auckland, where someone could come up and be like, hey, man, I've heard about your everything, but I really want to try it. It's like, cool, no problem, here you go. And there's something about being small, which for us really helped mitigate costs. We weren't running off to a high street and building a big flagship store. It's a tiny, tiny little window. It's relatively cost-effective to run, but we can leverage. We can leverage from it. It's an anchor point for the brand, and we can invite media or publications there to come and see us, and also grocery chains as well. So supermarket buyers can, can come to the window and meet us as well, just as much as we would go and see them. So we started selling... And one chain in, um, in Texas in July last year that has 10 stores, Texas-wide, but a, a really beautiful store in Houston. And so we worked really hard with that particular store and the other nine stores to try and build credibility. And what I'd call is a data story to show that we could sell on a shelf. The American customer was interested in Fix and Fog, not just once, but they would come back and keep buying. 
and we built um, we built a small data story because we only had you know what are we today just uh, rolling into kind of the, the the second quarter of the year, but we had we had kind of six months worth of sales that we then went to larger larger channels, um, Sprouts and Whole Foods, which are the second and first largest natural specialty grocery chains in the states, and we said, hey, we're doing this down here in Texas. We really think it could work for your stores. Are you interested? That's and and I mean if you if you know Texas, like if you don't know Texas, maybe uh, before I went through Texas, I don't know. I probably had some kind of like Dallas and oil and you you, you know like uh, you, you, I, I'm not even entirely sure. Kind of like you, you know you kind of think of California and you think of um, LA and you you kind of know what those places are like. But Texas hasn't got a super strong link to New Zealand. But if you go through there, they've got like. Um, Central is it Central Market, which is like the fanciest of all supermarkets, and um, yeah, and 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 these 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 huge and beautiful grocery stores. Like we we went to the, um, LA with the kids, and probably the most exciting thing that happened the whole week we were there was going to Whole Foods for them. They couldn't believe it. <laughs> like uh, yeah, grocery stores are kind of a magic thing in the states, aren't they? They're such a special place. And so that chain that I was referring to was Central Market, these these big, beautiful grocery chains. You walk in there, it's a full experience. Mm. And you talk about Whole Foods, some, some people, particularly in those those big built-up cities, they sh- they shop for their meals in there. They don't cook at home. They'll, they'll go in and they'll they'll get those ready-made meals. The, the Whole Foods in Austin, Texas, they'll, they'll make you a wood-fired pizza. Yeah. Um, the Central Market store in Houston, they mill their own chocolate yeah. in the store. <laughs> so you're watching these amazing chocolate grinders going. You know, the, the tomato or tomato aisle is, is super long and diverse. It's, it's exciting. And, yeah, Texas, I mean, I, I spent a bit of time there um, in 2019 and the start of 2020. I, I really came to love and know it. And, 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 and there's still so much I have to learn, but there are some things that really struck me. Is you, you have these big cities, Houston, Dallas, and Austin. I mean, Austin is a foodie mecca, just as much of it as like a real digital tech kind of hub at the moment. Houston's a little bit less obvious for, for a brand to start. And, but I think there is magic in that in, in the sense that go where there's less noise. You know, there's not that startup food scene in Houston. All, all the all the eyes are on Austin, Austin, Austin. So when you when you pop up in a space like that, people kind of look at it and and they want to know more about it. There's another thing that I've really loved about Texas, and they talk the locals talk about it a lot is that southern hospitality. That people welcome you, they're friendly, they'll chat to you when you're lining up to buy your groceries. And people have done that to this brand. They've gone, you know what? You've you've made the call, the risk, the chance to come here and give us this. We're going to get behind it, and and so yeah, it's 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 been it's been an unsung thing that I never thought would have happened to us, but it's been great. Just as much as the expat Kiwi network in America, and there's so many Kiwis out there just wanting the world of success for New Zealand brands. They know how hard it is. They know they know how tough it is, but they can see the opportunity, and they'll they'll pat you on the back and they'll push you and go like, you can do it, you can do it. And if they can't help you, their friend will, and they'll introduce you to that friend, and their friend might give you five minutes of time, who might introduce you to another person, and that and that really happened a lot with me in, in two thousand and nineteen, two thousand and twenty. Yeah, and not having been able to go and support it personally so easily because of of COVID, must have been a real challenge. But what happened when you took that data from those first ten stores and went to those bigger? Bigger outlets, like what's the scale at now today? Of um, you know how many how many shelves can Fix and Fog be found on in the states today? 
Yeah, so we, we took that, that small window of, of, of information, of stored data to, to Sprouts and Whole Foods with a story as well that, look, we're a, we're a New Zealand business, but we have roots now in the US and, and we, we want to be a part of it and we're here for the long term and we want to grow and we want to grow in your, your stores and so I'm really fortunate that both of those two chains and together that's a combined that's a combined store count of nearly 900 supermarkets and to give you a, a perspective on that in New Zealand we're probably in about 350 supermarkets and both of them said yes uh, there's very few Kiwi companies that have ever had a, an outright yes from Whole Foods um, the name precedes it's the pinnacle of natural grocery around the world and so they have 509 stores We've started in Sprouts. We started in Sprouts about three weeks ago and we're gearing up to start in Whole Foods in July. So that that space and time, if you think the start of the year, we're in those 10 central market supermarket stores and by July this year we'll be in over 1,000. It, it still just blows my mind. It's, it kind of sends tingles down kind of the back of my neck to think that, wow, this is the opportunity we've been given. We've got to make sure we don't stuff it up. We need to execute. We need to adhere to promises that we've made to those guys that we can deliver, that the quality is going to be there, that we're going to work really hard to engage with their customers. But it's it's mind-blowing the fact that a brand that six and a half years ago was kicking around at weekend farmers markets with two people who knew nothing about food, never run a business in their life, didn't have any kind of board, and we still don't have a formal board, that and no outside investments that we can actually take something here from New Zealand and put it on a world stage like American supermarket shelves. Ah, it's so cool, man! Uh, like, absolutely love it, and um, it, it's so magic because if you have been into something like a central market, like they they have like ice sculptures that you know four grapes sit on, like it's just such a spectacular environment, and uh, it's the best of the best from around the world. So it's so cool to get that nod, and as you say. Whole Foods is famously hard to to crack into. Yeah, it really is. And um, in some ways, like we look at this current environment, and I get really sad when 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 I look at what's happening with with small businesses and the challenges of manufacturing, hospitality, or tourism businesses here in New Zealand. I've got so many friends who are doing it really hard. We were so fortunate that our business just fell on one side of the ledger, that we were able to keep operating through the lockdown because we're an essential service here, that we could keep the wheels turning and our business could continue to kind of be what it was. And one, one thing that really happened that, I, that I've thought about a lot is how, is how COVID has really disrupted channels and the way people do business. And that happened in American grocery, very traditional. You'd be invited in for a pitch along with another a number of other brands. You'd be given an hour slot only and you had to nail it. It was, it was kind of like your do or die moment, your, your shark den pitch. But that went out the window with, with COVID to some degree. And our Whole Foods pitch was done here in Wellington on a Zoom call, our, our buyer, because she wasn't able to be in the office, was at home in her lounge. And I think that relaxes things. I think I think it breaks down that kind of that formal barrier at the start. People are less pressured on time because they're not being bothered by other distractions that are happening in the office. So I, I, I've thought perhaps maybe COVID helped, helped our business get into these, these channels because we were all of a sudden on a level, level playing field. We didn't have to be in the States. We could be here in New Zealand. We just had to juggle time differences. Yeah, wow. And I imagine on the same, uh, on the flip side to it, that same force has meant 
getting your tasks must be harder and knowing that you'll be able to deliver your containers on time and, uh, you know, knowing that you'll have the the factory or facility going at full noise in the weeks leading up to the order shipping off is harder to plan for. So I imagine, it's, I imagine there's a lot happening right now for you. Oh, there's, there's so much happening. And you look at you look at supply chains around the world have come to a grinding halt. I mean, literally, and then you throw in things like in the Suez Canal, which just absolutely stops. There's such, before that, there was even such a backlog on shipping. Um, Long Beach Port in LA is already at loggerheads and we had we had containers just sitting on the water for way too long. So we've had to really scramble. We've had to plan for it. We ended up air freighting a bunch of products so we could honour promises that we'd made to Sprouts, mm-hmm. Whole Foods. Um, the costs of doing business, and particularly in shipping, have skyrocketed. And, and there's another thing. There's an emotional part of it for me that I can't be there to celebrate that. That I'm such a visual person. You know, you heard how I like going to supermarkets, walking the aisles and talking to people. I can't be there to see our jars on Central Market. I've never seen them yet, you know. And come July, it'll probably still be the same case. We'll, we'll be in a 1,000 stores in 50 states, and I won't have been able to go in and see it. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that moment. How does it feel getting accolades like in New York Mag the other day, named by one of the experts as the best nut butter you could get hold of and it's at you know a wee bit of a price premium to the other things they were talking to and it's quite a sideways kind of you know brand from New Zealand and and coming out you know being noticed and being in those massive um forum it's so firstly it's so humbling we don't have we don't have a big PR agency here and internally or externally we've got a couple of people that um do our marketing that that really just kind of look after social media and, and try and do a good job of photography and video. And now to see that uptake um, in America, yeah, New York Magazine, uh, the Boston Globe, Houston Chronicle have, have, have kind of pointed us and going, this is amazing. It's so cool. It's, it, it blows my mind. I think it's also a product of, of, of kind of the, I think the, the learnings that we had here in New Zealand. New Zealand's small. It's really competitive. You have to be top of your game. Maybe America, things are just a bit bigger. They're just a bit slower. The innovation, the hunger for kind of that creativity just wasn't quite there in our category. So when we turn up, people go, Manuka smoke with kaitai fire chilies and a peanut butter? What is this thing? And it, it really excites them and they want to talk about it. And yeah, to have that in the New York magazine on the weekend we didn't know that was coming it's 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 crazy it's so lovely and you've been traveling around new zealand recently sharing the story of uh of of, yeah how you've been building the business and how things are going what's the motivation behind that and what kind of you know what kind of stories are people really connecting to so i'll answer the first part around the motivation and then talk about the connection and the motivation comes from me paying it back, paying it forward. So many people helped our business. They gave us the time of day. They they baby stepped us through things. Supermarket buyers, the public gave us feedback. And I look at this hotbed of innovation and small business we have here in New Zealand. And if I can just play some minute part about telling our story and the lessons and and also helping avoid pitfalls or standing on rakes then I feel like that's a really good thing to do. And I think it comes back to this idea that why did we start this business? And it was to have a culture 
along with a product that we're incredibly proud with. And a big part of that culture is sharing knowledge and being transparent. And um, yeah, I did a couple of just really informal chats in Auckland last week, and I'm, I'm doing one here tonight in Wellington. And and they're really for people to to ask me questions that they can relate to. And I've had so many questions which I can relate to and, and, and kind of give some sort of lens on from Fix and Fog's point of view. And that connection point relates to, like, how did you do it? This is the problem I'm struggling with. Cash flow. All, all, these, kind of, all these kind of questions that are just, there's themes that run across business, full stop, small, medium, large, and, and trying to give help in that space um, to, to people has been really great. And I hope as well that there's some inspiration in it, that here's, here's a husband and wife, you know, no background in this, just kind of that, that persistence, that determination, quietly plugging away, that took something small, small scale in New Zealand and put it in the US and still early days for us, but in some ways like that's, that's maybe in itself. And I look at maybe sporting stars like Stephen Adams who did that too and think, wow, like it can be done from here just because we're a small country, the bottom of the world, small population. We can do amazing things on, on the world stage and, and I want to try and help people do that in whatever field. It doesn't have to be food. What is a rake you can avoid standing on? I think that's a great question and I'm probably going to yoink that and try and chuck it into all of my chats from now on. Yeah, what's a rake that you can avoid standing on? So, so look, I think, I think the, the biggest rake you can avoid standing on is this idea of what is success. And I see so many, and myself included, entrepreneurs, founders, that don't separate or are not consciously aware of business success and founder success. They're related, but they are different. And and looking after your own mental well-being, your own space within the business, trying to reflect and do some hard critique on yourself. What are you good at? What are you not good at? What do you enjoy and what do you not enjoy? Because I've seen, and it happens with us, so much sacrifice goes into the business. And really taking that time, and Andrea and I work together, we're married, we've got two kids. We have to have a really fun journey, an enjoyable journey on this. And not just because the business needs to make another dollar of profit or needs to sell into Whole Foods. So starting from that space, taking that right back, conceptually looking at it and just being mindful of that and trying to put in some, I guess, some some sort of reminders or some boundaries that maybe you don't check your phone after six o'clock. Maybe you don't discuss work around the dinner table. Those sorts of things are small little things you can do, but that may mean the world to you as, as, a, as a founder. Um, you know, making sure if you're going to get investment, it's the right investment that you're not all of a sudden just with a partner that you're, you're stuck with and, and you don't want to be part of that because it's your dream, it's your vision, and you just have to make sure that people are on that path with you. And as a, a final thought, which is something we like to ask everyone, what will success be for you personally, you know, to, to build on that theme of separating out the founder from the business? And what will success be? for fix and fog for you what's your what's your dream for it such a good question and it, and it relates to what I was talking about just then with that that founder success and the business success I'm so motivated by the journey and 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 that right at the start we said business is hard and just accepting that it will always be hard and challenging it's it's just it's a challenge of just going and doing it and doing it and success for Andrea and I is this idea where we've come from to where we can take and take it to. 
we're not motivated by the money, the the prestige, the the kind of I mean, as lovely as New York Magazine is, that's not what we're about. We want to do this to show it to ourselves and that and our team here that we can do it, and then the customers that have supported us along the way. That's what success is for me, and that's why. We pay the living wage before we pay ourselves. All the profits that we make from the business go back into the business to try and funnel this US thing. And it's so easy to kind of grab headlines and go, you know, fix and fog, wow, amazing, 10 stores to 1,000. I think we'll invest over a million dollars in the States this year. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a loss, it's a loss market for us for two or three years. But it's, there's a commitment there and there's an absolute belief that we can do it. And I think it's having that real appreciation of, how hard business is, that the success is great, but on the other side of the coin, there's always going to be, is it financial hardship? Is it long hours? Is it, is it the stress of, of, of self-doubt that maybe you've chosen the wrong thing to do? So, um, But it's fun, and I want, at the end of it, for Andrea and I to be really proud of what we've done with this business and where we've taken it. Yeah, that's, that's magic. Um, thank you so much for sharing the story today. I absolutely loved it. Can't wait to see... Where you take it, that's Roman Jewell, who's the co-founder and CEO at Fix and Fog. Thank you for sharing your story. Kia ora. Thank you, Simon. Really appreciate it. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Tina Tiller, for producing. And thank you very much for having us along and listening. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by the spin-off, and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.